a lot of people come to conferences Yes, for the content, but that's actually a small part of it. If, if we were going to conferences purely for the content, we'd probably just hang out on YouTube all day, right? Because right. you can pretty yeah. much watch right. any talk that's ever happened yeah. on YouTube. That's but right. we go to these conferences in person so that we could make product friends or you know whatever yes. field you're in, right? You, you want to make friends in the audience. You want to go see that speaker and then have the opportunity to go hang out with that speaker and ask that speaker questions. And so, yeah, these in-person conferences also just gives us, gets us out of the, out of the house, out of the office. And, and sometimes just doing that alone gets you, gets you thinking, it, it kind of inspires you to do different work. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests, how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join us again. Hope you're all having a great week. And uh, you're finding your trip from spring into summer is going uh, good for you. I'm joined today with a guest, Mike Belsito. And Mike is the co-founder of the Product Collective, which is a, a leading independent community for product management professionals. So he's got a lot of cool things to talk to us about, but he's also co-organizer of Industry, the Product Conference, which is one of the largest and top-rated product management conferences, uh, series of conferences anywhere in the world. Mike, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Paul, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you making time for me here. Yeah, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You know, the sun is shining here in Cleveland, Ohio. Can't always say that. You know, weather could be a tricky thing, but when it's a blue sky, it doesn't even matter the temperature. If it's a blue sky out, I, I'm having a good day. <laughs> blue sky, Cleveland, we'll take it, right? Exactly. <laughs> That's good. Well, you know, you've had a you've you've just got a, a really lot of great stuff that you've been been involved in and i think our listeners are going to love it but i'd like to first ask you uh mike how did you get involved in innovation yeah i was thinking back on this um because really my whole career i've been involved in in tech startups and i've been an entrepreneur multiple times so I, when you ask me how i got involved in innovation i'll give you two answers i'll give you the the you know innovation being in my official title one way or the other answer right. then i'll also give you the in my opinion kind of the real answer the, the, the first one it's a short one right i as a co-founder of a company that i had a few years back um actually a decade ago it's a company called e funeral and it was acquired you know eventually after we started it but between you and me, you know, I, I know it's just us two here, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, nobody listened. <laughs> I always call it a fail sale, you know, to be honest with you. This wasn't the kind of acquisition where I made millions of dollars and retired to a beach and, you know, wrote yeah. books. And uh, it's the kind of acquisition where I needed to go get a job afterwards. <laughs> and I, yeah, I knew eventually I'd probably start something else. It's just kind of who I am. But yeah. At that point in time, you know, I didn't know what that next thing would be. And, and so I was looking for what my next role would be. But the thing is, when you're a co-founder of a small startup company, you're wearing so many hats. You know, I, I'm, I'm wearing my, my innovation hat, my product hat, but I'm also wearing the fundraising hat. I'm also wearing the marketing hat and the sales hat and, and all sorts of other hats. So um, when, when I was looking for what my next role would be, I, I didn't know what I would be. You know, like I didn't know what that next job should be. I started getting recruited, though, by companies that were looking at me as a product person. And I remember one of those companies, 
Uh, it was a ticketing company. We we did the ticketing for all sorts of sports and and pro sports teams, college sports teams. I remember when they recruited me, they were recruiting me to be director of product strategy. And this is probably, by the way, my first true innovation related role, at least, yeah. you know, the, the title sort of sounds like it. Right. But I remember when they were recruiting me, I had to Google, what does a director of product strategy do? I had no idea. Um, and, I think and people to be honest, still Google it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say, Paul, if, if I met 10 people with that title and I asked them what they did, I'd probably get 10 answers. You know, that's just, just how it is. But and I remember when I went to lunch with the person that recruited me, they, they, you know, were asking me, so how do you feel? You know, what do you think? And I'm like, well, I, this sounds awesome, but I don't know if I'm the best person for this. You know, I, I never went to school for product management. And she looked at me and said, oh, Mike, nobody went to school for product management. You'll be just fine. You know, don't worry about it. And so I took that job and in the back of my mind, I'm like, but what happens when they figure out I don't know what I'm doing? And so I kind of had to figure out on the fly, on my own, what being a product person really was. And and that was, you know, that particular role, I would say that that was probably my first true innovation related role. And I'm really grateful for it. But I say there's a different answer. Because when I look back at my entire career, I've sort of always been involved in innovation in some way, but I didn't really even know it. You know, yeah. like even back thinking back to when I was in business school, it's probably what set me on this path to being an entrepreneur. I had a degree in sports management and I remember interning in, in the sports sponsorships uh, program. Well, it, the, the athletic department at the school, they didn't have a sports sponsorship program. I didn't know that. I reached out to the athletic director and said, hey, let me intern in your sponsorship group here. And I met with her and she said, well, Mike, that, that'd be great, but we don't have a sponsorship group. We're division three. <laughs> you came from a college that has, you know, it's a D1 program. They have the money to support something like that. And my answer to her was, oh, great. You know, let me start it. You know, I'll figure out how go. to start the program. You don't even have to pay me anything except eh, maybe a percentage of whatever sponsorships I raise. And so I started Case Western Reserve University's first sponsorship program, which, you know, that was creating a brand new product for the school. I didn't think sure. about it like that. But yeah. when I really look back, that, that might have been the first time I ever launched something from scratch like that. And so yeah. that whole experience sort of got me into wanting to be a part of companies where you're creating things. And so, you know, that's what innovation's all about. That's what startups are all about. And yeah. so anyway, that's kind of what got me here today. That is cool. Now, how do you get from there to, well, first of all, tell us what Product Collective is. Yeah. So Product Collective, we're a community Actually, at this point, I think we're the largest independent community for product management professionals. We've been at it since 2015. Um, we've bootstrapped it ever since then. And really today, what it amounts to is sort of a, a, really a lot of things for product people. But at the core, we are really trying to help product people answer the question, am I doing this right? You know, because what we, we started because we were those confused product people working those product roles asking ourselves that question. Are we doing this right? So at the core, that's what we're trying to help with. We're trying to help product people answer that question. How do we do that? Well, we do that in all sorts of ways from a podcast that I co-host, rocketship.fm, uh, from our video chats. Um, on the first and third Wednesday at every, every month at 1 p.m. Eastern, we host a live video chat um, with product leaders from all over the world diving in on different topics. We have our own newsletter that goes out to 35,000 product people every Friday. So it's a number of things here. I think maybe one of the biggest things that we do 
that uh, it's kind of one of those things a lot of people know us for, which is industry, the product conference. We launched that conference back in 2015, and it's since become one of the top rated conferences for product people anywhere. And since that time, we've introduced a European edition, which happens every spring. We acquired a conference called the New York Product Conference and kind of a scaled down version for the New York community. And, and now others even outside of New York come to that conference. Of course, now virtual editions, right? Like yeah, we, right, we had to go right. virtual for a while. So we, we, we did that. Um, but yeah, so Product Collective, we do all those things, but really it's all in the name of helping product people become more comfortable and more capable product people. That's awesome. That's awesome. So have you, have, I mean, obviously you went, must have been on site, on premises type of conference, went virtual, had to go virtual. Are you back to on site yet? Yeah. And that, <laughs> gosh, it's a, it's sort of a moment in my professional career I will never forget because the last <laughs> in-person conference we had was March 9th through 11th, 2020 in Dublin, Ireland. Right. And, Close and the March door 11th, behind you, right? <laughs> oh, it, March 11th was, that was pretty much, that was the day that, you know, Tom Hanks had COVID, the NBA's canceled, the NCAA, you know, tournament is yeah. off. And we, we really, that all that happened within about an hour or two after our conference ended that day. So we yeah, actually had our right. conference. It's probably the craziest in-person conference we ever put on. And then flew back on March 12th. And, you know, really that whole time flying back, what was going over in my head was, do we even have a business anymore? Because at that point right. in time, most of our revenue was generated from in-person conferences. But yes, we ended up introducing virtual edition of industry. We ended up introducing virtual workshops, which still exist today. We've done three virtual editions um, ever since fall 2020 was the first virtual edition. So we've done three. We have one scheduled this October, um, and we, but we are back to in-person conferences. So we had the first in-person edition of the New York Product Conference um, just about a month ago. It was, it was in April, early April, and, uh, and it was a great time. You know, it, it, situation where we're, we're all masked, we're all vaccinated, you know, inside the venue. So there's, you know, it gives people a little bit, a little bit of comfortability there. But I think the people that were with us, we had about 300 product people with us. They're all pretty eager to be back. We have a lot of people that are registered for industry coming up this fall in Cleveland, Ohio. That's in September 2022, you know, here in Cleveland, a lot of people ready to get back to that in-person environment. But we also have our virtual edition taking place a month later in October. Not everybody is necessarily ready or, heck, even if they're ready to, to travel, not everybody has the travel budgets for conferences and right. such. So this whole podcast, right, innovation themed, I mean, I think it's sort of COVID pushed us to innovate because really there's no reason this virtual edition shouldn't have existed this entire time. But, you know, it by necessity, we were sort of pushed to introduce something and dig into something that that maybe we should have done a lot sooner, if I'm being honest, Paul. Yeah, well, you know, I, I spoke at a, a couple of virtual conferences during the past couple of years. I, and for me, that's a change as a speaker, because it's one thing when you can read the audience and bounce off the audience and use that energy reflecting back from the audience. It's a different when you're, you're just talking into a, a screen, right? And you really don't even see the people because at least the virtual conferences I were in, you just couldn't see anybody. So a little bit of adjustment to get used to it, but, but we did it. We got through it. They were all okay. And then uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I got back to my first in-person conference, the Innovation Roundtable in Copenhagen. Oh, it felt so good. It felt <laughs> so good to, to be close to people again. <laughs>
they're just different products if you want to think of it that way, right? That in-person yeah, experience correct. or the virtual experience, it's just it serves a purpose. Um, it serves a job. It does a job. It's just a different job, right? And it's really hard to replicate that in-person experience. A lot of people come to conferences, yes, for the content, but that's actually a small part of it. If, if we were going to conferences purely for the content, we'd probably just hang out on YouTube all day, right? Because right. you can pretty yeah. much watch right. any talk that's ever happened yeah. on YouTube. But we go to these conferences in person so that we could make product friends or, you know, whatever yes. field you're in, right? You, you want to make friends in the audience. You want to go see that speaker and then have the opportunity to go hang out with that speaker and ask that speaker questions. And so, yeah, these in-person conferences also just gives us gets us out of the out of the house, out of the office. And, and sometimes just doing that alone gets you gets you thinking it, it kind of inspires you to do different work. Yeah, I felt it. I felt it at the conference uh, two weeks ago. There were some issues that people were dealing with, and they were just got a lot of comfort knowing that they're not the only ones dealing with those issues. And they weren't necessarily the issues that were were talked about at the conference as as speakers. But it's all the side stuff that happens. You say, okay, yeah, we're both or we're all struggling with this issue. And it was, you know, one of the ma major themes, I wouldn't call it an issue, but certainly a theme was sustainability. So now everybody left kind of level set on, okay, what's everybody else doing and where are they? And, you know, okay, nobody's got this figured out yet or whatever the, the subjects were, the learnings were. So there is a lot of value that uh, I'm sure you guys lived that. Uh, in your conference and you'll be getting back to it. We're definitely looking forward to getting back in person this fall. That's for sure. Well, you might've already shared it cause you, you just shared it was a whole bunch of cool stuff, but is there like a success story you would say beyond some of this stuff that, uh, along your journey that, that you like to bring up and talk about? Yeah. You know, there, there are definitely a few, one of the, one of the things that really stands out to me though. Uh, I'll bring up this story. This is kind of maybe one of my favorites to share because it, it's how we ended up launching a brand new delighter for our conference that we would have never even thought of introducing if it wasn't for spending time with our customers, which I think, you know, when we think of innovation, that's that's one of the hearts of innovation, right? Like being able to spend, not just spend time with customers, but being able to really understand, you know, what what are their pains? What are their struggles? How can we have a place in solving those problems. Um, so we had um, a conference back. This was, I, I think it was industry 2017, um, possibly. We, we had Bob Mesta with us at our conference. Now, Bob is a friend now and somebody that almost has taken up residency at industry. He, he's spoken at multiple editions at our European conference here in the US. He's one of the early pioneers of jobs to be done. So jobs to be done is this is framework um, that's become really popular, I think, in innovation circles. Certainly it has in product management. And Bob is one of those key early figures that that really helped solidify what that even means. You know, he helped, helped sort of define it, um, along with a handful of other people could probably take credit for that too. But Bob, you know, we're hanging out backstage at industry. He had just given a great talk, probably was one of the top rated talks of the conference. They usually are when Bob speaks. And we're talking backstage. I remember kind of making an just sort of off the cuff comment, which was, yeah, you know, this job's be done. You know, it's, it's really cool. We've, we've always been interested in it. And, you know, we do a lot of interviews with our customers, but we don't, we don't call them jobs be done interviews because I don't really know what I'm doing when it comes to jobs to be done. So, you know, and he's, he's kind of paused on it. And he goes, 
tell me more about that. You know, what, what do you mean you, you feel like you don't know what you're doing? And I'm like, well, you're the expert, Bob, you know, but the jobs be done. You know, it's, it's awesome. And I think I get it, but I don't really know exactly how to use it. So I, anyway, that's why we. And so he's like, well, Mike, what if because let me ask you something. Would it be helpful? What if I were to sit through some customer interviews with you? And, you know, actually interviewed your customers alongside you, you know, would, would you be open to that at all? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Bob, I'd definitely be open to that. I mean, you have somebody like Bob Mesta asking if yeah, he, right. if, if, you know, Are permission, you kidding, can right? I come with you to talk to your customers? <laughs> yes, I would love for that to happen, Bob. So, yes, sir. so Bob and I and my partner, Paul, we made a plan uh, of, you know, interviewing so many customers um, and Bob. Bob said, all right, before we really get into it, before we seek out these customers to interview, before we, you know, go through these interviews, we need to have a plan. That was really, you know, one of the premises of premises of jobs to be done is, you know, these customers, they're not just buying your product or subscribing to your product because of the features. People are buying your product to to do a job. They're really hiring your product to do a job. Uh, and solve a problem for them the same way that any one of us might hire a consultant to hire to to solve some sort of problem that we have customers are hiring our products to solve some problem for them so what bob said is in order to really understand though what those problems are you have to go so deep in these interviews he's like and i'm guys i'm talking if you want me to do this with you you have to be ready to get uncomfortable because sometimes these interviews they will get uncomfortable because I'm going to go so deep with the customers. He goes, you know, the best way to prepare for this is we have to think of ourselves not as entrepreneurs or, or product managers, you know, with a product, but we're documentary filmmakers. We have to think of ourselves as documentary filmmakers, and we're trying to uncover the story. We're trying to uncover what this story is, what these key pain points are, these problems, the struggling moments. That's what we're really after is we want to get after that struggling moment because if we could find that struggling moment, that's where true innovation happens. And so we said, okay, Bob, we're in, you know, we'll, we'll get uncomfortable. That's all good. We could do that. <laughs> and so we found people to interview, um, started lining up all these interviews. Bob said, you know, to do this, you need to make, you know, he said, how much time are you going to ask them for? We said, ah, 20 minutes, you know, our customers are busy. So 20 minute conversations. He said, no, God, it has to be an hour. And we're going to have a half an hour prep call and a half an hour debrief call. So Every interview, we're dedicating two hours of our time. It's an hour of the customer's time. And we said, well, gosh, Bob, I, I don't know because, you know, customers, they're busy. You know, will they dedicate an hour? He said, Mike, they're going to have to. You know, you're going to have to find a way to, you know, maybe not everybody will, but we'll find customers that that will be able to dedicate that hour. And uh, and we did. You know, we, we actually, we asked our customers, hey, can we have a, you know, have the time? It's an hour time frame. And. We really didn't get much pushback. No more pushback than we would have if it was a 20-minute conversation. Um, not to say our customers aren't busy. They are. But it just turned out that they were willing to invest that time in the name of us trying to make our product, our conference, uh, a better uh, a better one for them. So we went through these interviews. And, you know, it's funny. the way I remember this one interviewee, Matt. Uh, Matt came to the conference. And I remember saying to you know, asking Matt certain questions. And one of those questions I remember were saying, Hey, so Matt, when you came to the conference, you know, what was, what was your experience? And he'd be like, Oh, it was a you know great experience. And he'd go on a little bit and we're like, that's great. Next question. And Bob said, no, no, wait a minute. 
<laughs> yeah, because you figure you're done, right? <laughs> exactly right. I thought we're moving on. Matt said, you know, hey, when it came to level up my skills, Bob said, what does level up mean? You know, what does level up mean to you? Bob probably knew what level up meant. Yeah, we, sure. we're, we said, oh, we know what level up means, at least in our mind. But Bob wanted <laughs> to hear in the customer's words what level up meant. Because if the way that customer's defining it, that's important. And there might be some distinctions there. So we went on and on and Bob kept doing this. Cop kept really getting very, very deep. But I remember at one point, Matt said, um, one, one thing that sort of brought up an anxiety at the conference, and by the way, we wouldn't have known this if it wasn't for Bob sort of pressing on because Matt was like, oh, no, it's all great experience, all great experience. And Bob said, oh, okay, is there ever a time where it wasn't? You know, was there ever a time where you, you really – you struggled with something or you had some anxiety and Matt said, well, there was this one thing, but it's not your fault, guys. You know, it's not your problem. This has nothing to do with you. But there was this one thing where he's like, you know, I just I was taking notes the entire time and Matt made these really cool sketch notes. Um, so different kind of note taking. And we noticed it because he had shared it on Twitter and, and people were you know, sharing it. But he said, I, I did that because I it wasn't just for my own benefit and it wasn't just because I wanted to get followers on Twitter or anything like that. But, you know, I felt this need to go back to the office and share what I learned. You know, I wanted to be able to prove that this conference was valuable. I mean, my company spent a lot of money on this ticket. My company spent a lot of money to fly me into Cleveland to put me up in this hotel. This isn't a conference any of my peers had gone to before. So I felt that there was this need for me to prove that this was all worthwhile. And that was an eye opener to us because Matt took these notes, not because, you know, he was just, you know, ah, it's a habit. I take notes, but it was because he felt this anxiety within himself to, to prove the conference's worth. And that stuck with us. And, and again, we wouldn't have uncovered that if we didn't go deep in that interview, but that stuck with us. And, and he said, you know, again, this isn't your thing. This is my thing. It's just, and we're like, okay, but after hanging up and really evaluating, we said, you know, any kind of anxiety that our customers feel at the conference, that is our thing. That is our problem. That's a, that's a problem. It's a pain point we have to solve for, whether they are associating it with it being, quote unquote, our problem or not. And so fast forwarding a bit, what we did at the next conference, which was uh, Industry Europe, I think it might have been the first edition of Industry Europe, we actually hired a journalist to come to the conference, stay for the entire time and take notes. And at, we coordinated it with that journalist and our designer so that our designer was at the ready. Soon as that journalist would send the Google doc that he or she, and the, the first one was a he, we've had many, many women as the uh, official journalist to take notes. And, but as soon as they were done and they would send those notes over to our graphic designer, they would create a, a, a ebook basically. And every attendee got that ebook before the next morning even. So before they even flew home to make it to wherever they were, you know, wherever they're from, in their inbox would have an ebook with all of the notes from every single talk at industry. And I remember at the very beginning of the conference saying, hey, by the way, you know, before we get started, I want to point out somebody. I'm going to point out this journalist right here. This person is taking notes for all the talks so you don't have to. That moment when I introduced that journalist you just saw laptops close. You saw shoulders start to relax. That person got a biggest, the biggest ovation over any speaker that year. 
And so it now that's a it's just a feature of industry, but it became the biggest delighter we probably ever introduced. And um, to this day, it's yeah, it's one of the things that when we get the reviews for the conferences afterwards, so many people point out, God, thank you for having that person take notes for us. I always, you know, try to take notes and sometimes it's hard to. And yet it ended up being one of the best features of our entire conference. That is so Awesome. I never, I haven't experienced a conference like that. So I better get into your conference because I want to experience that. <laughs> for sure, but you're absolutely for right. Sure. You, you want to, you, it's one of the jobs to be done is, is, as, as, the, as Matt pointed out, right. But there's that technique can probably, probably knocks off of, you know, ticks off a few jobs to be done. You know, I absolutely. want to reference, I want to go back. I want to, yeah, it's just, it's just like that one little twist is like, wow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does several things, right? Like the, the key thing we were trying to do was really solve for that anxiety Matt was feeling, right. which is, hey, I need to prove the worth. And, and now we're, we're arming Matt with a tool to do that. But but you're right. I mean, we use those notes to promote the, the next conference, right? We say, yeah. hey, take a look at what you'll learn. Here's what people learned at the last conference. Those notes are a great sort of takeaway to share with teams. So now with inside an organization, that attendee shares with all of their team members and now we got a lot of people thinking about industry. We got a lot of potential customers for the next year. So yeah, it actually solves quite a few jobs. And that's what that's what's interesting. Sometimes, you know, the products that we launch, they have an intended purpose, but there's a lot of also unintended benefits or unintended features that sort of live out there. And sometimes we could build products even off of those. But yeah, that's sort of one of my favorite stories to share. Yeah, that is an awesome story. And you know, we 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 and our and Sophion follow jobs to be done. We've been doing it as well. Uh, and one of the key learnings for me is you can ask, ask the people for the time, ask them for the hour. You'd be surprised, you know, you, they'll give it to you. But have you found, I'm curious if you found when people are going through and they're the person you're talking to, you're interviewing, you're going deep, you're, you're doing all of those things. Um, are they learning something as well? about themselves or about about their job to be done that maybe they weren't able to articulate? Have you had some of those experiences? I, absolutely. I mean, I think every time, and this is what's made, this is what has made me more open to doing customer interviews. And you know, just as a product person, I'm curious, you know, what, what are other companies' innovation processes? And sometimes just getting to see how other people do it, you get to learn something. I do think one, you know, kind of no matter what industry you're in, just by articulating your personal experience with something, it does let you learn something about yourself, how you use products, you know, what, how you value products. In our case, our customers are product managers. They know that customer interviews, jobs be done, these are things relevant to product managers. We had quite a few people tell us, like literally, hey, I'm totally open to give you, giving you all the hour because this is research for me. You know, I want to see how That's you right. guys are doing this customer interview. This might help me. So we kind of get a little bit of benefit from that. But I think no matter what industry you're in, even partaking in a customer interview as the customer, it helps you learn something about yourself too. I do believe that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's just awesome. Thanks, thanks for sharing that, Mike. That's really, really fun. So I don't know how you're going to answer this question because it's such a broad question, but is there one piece of advice you'd give somebody as a product owner, product manager, who's who's just getting into the field or maybe even been here for a while, one piece, core piece of advice you'd give somebody to be better at, 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 at doing product management? Yeah. You know what? 
there's probably a lot to be learned for sure. And there's plenty of people that are way smarter than me to give all sorts of great advice. I think the one thing that I would leave with somebody that's just getting involved in product now, though, kind of breaking into the industry, so to speak, being that new product manager, it's to make product friends. This is honestly what helped me in the very beginning. You know, I shared with you before I took that product role as director of product strategy for that ticketing company. I didn't know what I was doing. At least that's how I felt. Of course, the more I talked to other people, because at that time I said, you know what? Okay. I need to learn though. I need to figure this out. So how did I do that? Well, I, I bought product books. I listened to product podcasts. I, you know, started, um, you know, doing those types of things and that, that helped, um, for sure. But I also started meeting other people in product. And that's when I learned, you know, meet some of these product people that I'd see, I'd read about on Twitter and they have plenty of years of experience under their belt. And I'm sharing the, the, anxiety that I have, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I got just dropped into this role and then, oh, you, you know, I got dropped into my role. Mike, I, I speak at conferences. I still sometimes feel like I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and, and maybe they're just trying to make me feel a little bit better. But I, I really do believe the, the more you put yourself out there to meet other product people, the better off you'll be. One, you have a pipeline of people to turn to, to now, you know, maybe you have an issue there are people you can turn to inside of your circle to help with that. And it goes both ways, right? If there are people that you're connected to that they need help, maybe they're looking for that next job. Maybe they have some sort of issue that they're dealing with. You're there for them too. That's what community is all about. That's why we started Product Collective. We wanted to give people dedicated place for this because before Product Collective, there really weren't many dedicated places where product people could find each other, connect, you know, sort of be among each other. And so that's my recommendation. Whether you're doing it through Product Collective, you certainly don't have to. And there's other communities out there like that, like Product Collective. But finding other product people could be in your own community, it could be starting a meetup of your own. It could be starting some sort of, you know, virtual coffee hour, anything like that. I think the more that you could put yourself in the company of other products, I keep saying product people because that's sort of my terminology that I use. Innovation professional, you know, any any kind of, however you identify yourself, putting yourself in the company of like-minded people like that, I think will be a big benefit to you early on in your career. And, and it'll benefit you throughout your career, even, even as you become quite experienced too. Yeah. My number one piece of advice now that I, when I give, if I, if I were to give people, cause I'm no expert at all with product management, but my number one piece of advice is go check out product collective. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, thank Cause, you cause for that. I, I definitely uh, no, hope that I mean, it's we a, could give know, value to people for sure. Exactly. And through there, you're going to meet other people uh, for sure. Hey, uh, just real quick. Tell me about rocket ship FM. Yeah. You know, rocket ship, been at it a little while. I think we are close to 600 episodes that we've done. Oh, you've been at it a while. Yeah. Been at it a little bit. Now, I didn't start Rocket Ship. Rocket Ship was started by my friend Michael Saka. Probably 2014 is when he started it. Wow. I became a co-host in 2016, I believe. So maybe it was like episode 150, somewhere around that. So I've been around for most of the episodes. But really, we like to think of ourselves as a, a podcast for entrepreneurs and product people. We take a storytelling kind of approach. So you'll hear a lot of product journeys on Rocket Ship. But, and what I mean by that is we'll, we'll dig deep. We've done them as an example. Books.com would be a really good example. Books.com was the first e-commerce company ever before Amazon 
started in Cleveland, Ohio. So it's a little fun <laughs> piece of history. Not everybody knows the first e-commerce store actually was started in Cleveland, Ohio by an entrepreneur, Charlie Stack. And we've done a two-part episode on the origin of books.com. And I, actually, I remember Brad Stone, even I got to talk to Brad Stone. Brad Stone is a author, wrote the Everything Store about Amazon, one of the foremost experts on Jeff Bezos. And in talking with Brad, Brad was like, you know, that I, I know about books.com because I included it partly in the book, but there's a lot I did not know about books.com. And so that that was kind of really cool. But we love telling those stories and we love just kind of taking a little bit more of a yeah, creative storytelling approach. And yeah, we've we've done all sorts of episodes. But you know, I first joined as a guest. I was I, I wrote a book a, a long time ago, self-published a book, and I was just trying to pitch podcasts and you know, promote the book and that's how I met Michael. And we just kind of hit it off and became friends. And so after I was a guest, I would recommend all sorts of speakers for the show. Usually they'd be Midwest speakers just because I'm a Midwest guy. And I felt like it was my personal mission to not let every story be about Silicon Valley and New York City. And But yeah, when Michael's two co-hosts, Matt and Joel, they they married each other, had a baby, decided you know, we don't have as much time for podcasting. You know, we, we've got some important things in our life going on, mainly that baby. So Michael was looking for a co-host and I stepped in and, and yeah, it's been a fun journey ever since. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I admire you guys are like way out there. I've been doing it about a year, right? So a little That's over awesome. a year and I'm like, I'm getting there, but uh, there's, there's, there's something to look up to what you guys are doing. So, Well, cool. Paul, I think you're already in the top, you know, 10% of podcasts when it comes to longevity, because I, I can't remember the exact stat, yeah. but it's something like 90% of podcasts don't even make it past episode three or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. So I'm pretty that. sure this is yeah. this is past episode three right here. So you're you're already in that top upper echelon. Yeah, yeah. We've been doing it the year weekly. Yeah. Yeah, great. Well listen, this has been an awesome discussion, Mike. I, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us and sharing some of these ideas. I th I think you've got You've got more things to tell us, so I'm hoping I can cajole you to come back. I'd love it. I'd love it. You you invite yeah. me anytime, and I'll be back, Paul. I had a really fun time being here, so I'm definitely down for that. Yeah, me too. We will do that. Yeah. So, so Mike, we we talked about uh, the Product Collective and, and, and the Industry Product Conference and Rocket Ship FM, but if people want to follow you, right, if they want to kind of track what you're doing and kind of keep an eye on you, where are you active? How do they find you? Yeah, well, you could you could definitely go to productcollective.com and drop your email there and you'll get our newsletter, which I write in every week. So you'll hear from me there. You could find me on LinkedIn. Just go to Mike Belsito. You'll, you'll find me. I pop up. I think it's just LinkedIn slash Mike Belsito, basically, you know, dot com or whatever slash Mike right, Belsito. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm at Belsito on Twitter. So, yeah, a few ways to find me there, I suppose. We'll, put, we'll make sure we put those in the show notes so people can people can grab it there if they didn't if they're driving they can't write it down or can't remember it we'll make sure that they get it cool well you have a great uh, week ahead Mike and uh, let's we'll talk soon I'll definitely reach out to you and set up another one and again I'm just really honored that you took time to drop in and say hi well that sounds great Paul and and thank you so much for having me really appreciate it and to you our listeners thank you for joining us I hope you found that as fun as I did. Mike's a really great guy. He's got so much experience to share with, uh, with us. And just glad to have people like that come on. I wish you all a great week ahead. And take care, everybody. Bye for now.
Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com. <laughs>